Hi everyone, this is Al Fajara from the future. I just want to start this episode by saying a trigger warning. This episode is regarding mental health issues and we deal with very happy topics such as mental health issues and eating disorders and suicide. And this episode was made in the intent of helping people. But if it is too tough to handle, I recommend that you turn it off now. Sorry for the inconvenience and thank you for listening. <laughs> get what you need to get out of your bag. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. We have a guest with us um, who wanted to watch the thing live. We have an audience. An audience. But she's a very close friend, so it's actually a bit comforting to talk about this issue with someone that we love. Okay. Tala. I've been trying to think about this, but I can't. I mean, I, it was your face says you have someone, but like, I, is it someone that you just don't want to say on... <laughs> <laughs> Someone is laughing. <laughs> Our third uh, wheel right now is laughing. Uh, we needed laugh track. Um, <laughs> well, I think obviously there's always going to be somebody on a personal basis that I kind of want to throw ship ship on. Tea. On a big universal basis, I guess every president ever of everything. <laughs> Yeah, of us recording this, so the problem with Sheikh Jarrah and Israel is quite escalated now. So I would like to throw Shabashib at Israel, but more specifically at celebrities who are choosing to be neutral. Oh, Peace yeah. for all. Everyone matters. Have you seen Paris Hilton post about it? She's hardcore. Yeah. So much respect. Love her. Yeah. That Aquarius. <laughs> her, Mark Ruffalo... Uh, India Moore. Oh my God. There are some celebrities out there. Ami Fashuli Albi. Ami Barduli Albi. I did not see anything from him. Mm. I did not check. I will check after the podcast, but let me talk about my ship ship. So, other than Israel, actually, I wanted to revoke my ship ship this uh, podcast episode because I really wanted to talk about how proud I am of you and of myself as well. Someone just decided to turn on the car as we're talking about how proud of, I am of people. Okay. Rude. Um, because we're talking about mental health today and both of us had really severe mental health issues in the same time in parallel. And I feel like we have reached a point where we're a lot better than we were back then. Yeah. So I'm really proud of us. Yeah, I'm proud of us too. And that's a car. Someone is actually ruining this friendship right now. باب مقفول والقلوب مفتوحه واهم شيء القهوه على النار اهلا فيكم في لولا جارتي البودكاست اللي بيجيب من طاق الحنك فايده اسمي عاليه محمود اليوم معي جاست على لايك مدونا ام اند اور توبيك توداي از مينتال هيلث اي ريلي وونت تو ستارت ويز ا هيوج تريجر وورنينج ذس از غنا اولسو بي ريبيتد ات ذا بيجينينغ بيجينينغ اوف ذا ابيسود trigger warning because we are going to talk about mental health issues, depression, suicide might be mentioned, medication might be mentioned, food eating disorders. This is going to be a very happy episode and I think it's very important that we keep it heavy. I'm sorry, but if you cannot handle it, I ask you to stop listening now. Thank you for being here though. So, um, dear Jarat, I'm going to tell you a bit about Tala. So Tala and I are friends. We met through a mutual friend. We got along. And 
we kind of became closer when in 2018 I've mentioned it a bit earlier I was going through a tough time and Tala also and we were kind of like it was we were talking but it was two ways of having conversation you either sent me exactly what you were thinking or that your conversation your conversation started with hi yeah <laughs> and it was pre- like after that you'd hear around or you would just call me on FaceTime and honest I'm kind of low-key glad that you had that at the same time that I was going through shit um and that's why I picked her today because honestly she's one of the most important people who experienced this with me and I'm very grateful to have her there um so I couldn't think of a better person to do this with but Tala can you please just tell us a bit more about yourself what you do or what you choose to disclose about yourself for mm-hmm. the sakes of this podcast Um, my name is Tala. I went to fashion school and then again in Paris. I am an avid researcher. I'm obsessed with astrology. I have <laughs> dealt with being quote unquote mentally ill for oh, like a decade now. Oh my god. Um, up until actually I moved to Paris mm-hmm. and then I started to realize that my problems were not as big as Well, like my mental health problems were not as big as like the problems that were imposed on me outside of that. Um, and yeah, me and Alia have been friends for a while. We had a massive <laughs> fight in 2012. Not even a fight. I just... She ghosted me. I just ghosted. I was like, I don't... I deserved it. I deserved it. I was like, I don't know how to have this conversation anymore. And I just was like... peace I'm done which you know it's a very like 20 21 year old thing to do you were 20 I was 18 okay I was 20 yeah and that was like in the thick of it I was still in Dar al-Hikmah I was so depressed in university it's amazing that I even managed to like do that which was more healthy than having just fucking screamed at you I you know what it's hap- I'm glad that we are where we are Um, I, oh God, I just don't want to think about it because honestly, I, I'm not very happy with the person I was then. So I don't know really where to start talking about this, but I'm going to ask you, when did you realize that you have mental health issues? I don't think I ever realized it, um, which is a big part of my journey, I guess. It was more people telling me that was what I was experiencing. I felt different, which I feel like a lot of kids do, but I struggled with just feeling like I fit into situations or like I reacted in the same way somebody else would react. Um, My mother was the one who kind of pointed it out to me or not even to me I guess she just took me to like a mental health professional and was like what's wrong with my daughter and we started there and that started pretty young um I think it had a lot to do with a fear of me being different Mm-hmm. me being vocal about things and my experiences I actually Come to think of it, it was, I had a tick. Mm-hmm. Um, I would run. Can you explain what a tick is for her? So a tick is 
a physical reaction that's often repeated. Um, it could be associated with Tourette's or epilepsy. Um, I would run, mm -hmm. just like in the house, um, in school, in the hallways. Like I would be like walking and then suddenly I would run a little and I'd feel a little better. And I needed that kind of like energetic outlet. And um, that was like the biggest cause for concern, I guess. And they took me in and they're like, oh, I guess she has Tourette's even though I have no other symptoms. Um, they asked me all the basic mental health questions. It's like, do you feel sad? And I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I feel sad. I'm 10 years old, like, mm. it happens. Um, but I think there was a complete overreaction to my behavior, mm -hmm. um, which is fine. I guess it led me here and I'm now more capable of dealing with things. But it was definitely a fear of me being too different or me being a problem. Or The thing is, my behavior was so exclusively wrong in, wrong in quotations in a very physical sense there was the running and obviously i had different ideologies than my parents growing up i was pretty stubborn smart kid which i feel like we all grow into that but i came into it very very early where i would have serious discussions i would think about what I wanted from my life and I think that really is kind of scary when like an eight-year-old tells you they're going to art school regardless of <laughs> what anyone tells them um I love how the air I'm so sorry I love how the air parent reaction to art school is <gasps> she needs doctor the only yeah, time someone yeah. will believe in mental health issues in the Arab world is when a person chooses art school exactly I'm so sorry this is really they're funny like, to me oh my god she's really can I say the F word? Yeah, okay. you can say the F word here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's really just fucked up, isn't she? But it's also because I'm uh, significantly younger than my siblings. So they had a basis of comparison to behaviors of kids that were 10 years older. And they often compared me to my siblings at whatever age they were. Mm -hmm. So it was, you're being childish, you're being reactive, and retroactively I can see I was being like a 10 year old I was being a 12 year old I was being a teenager completely normal reactions I wasn't argumentative I wasn't mean I never got into problems with teachers they loved me uh, but it was just I think the fear of me being so different than my siblings as well which is where it kind of all like started to spin off I really hate seeing this it's so like mm, I'm a main character kind of bullshit because I realized I had mental health issues after I read The Bell Jar. Oh my god, I'm not like other girls. <laughs> I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but like that book is important to okay, me. Okay, I just like to pause and say that <laughs> after reading The Bell Jar at one point, Alia decides to communicate with me that that book really remind no not even the book the character in the book reminds her of me listen i've never read the bell jar i have zero <laughs> intentions of doing so but i know that's some fucked up shit what does that mean i mean no because honestly like the does because by the way i completely forgot i told you this 
But I told you this because like she had like a, a sequence of events happen to her that really reminded me of you. Okay. Yeah. Fine, but still kind of fucked up. I was I was not in a good place then. Please. <laughs> I, can I just say to people, like, do not hold me accountable for anything I did before I took medication. Can I just say that? Is that fair to say? Yeah, like, just do not hold me accountable. <laughs> so, again, um, I read The Bell Jar and I kind of really, the melancholy of the character resonated with me. And I kind of just decided that I was depressed. But upon later reflection, I actually realized that oh shit, like I was seriously suicidal and I didn't realize this until I was on medication later on. So what had happened was I had a, um, like a, a life experience that was very triggering and that led me to have a panic attack that lasted like a solid 12 hours of me like properly hyperventilating. And the only way to calm me down, I was like on the floor like sideways in the bathroom, just watching like RuPaul Drag Race. And oh it was like God. one of the few things that would like bring me like momentary joy <laughs> that would help me just like breathe for a second. And I called my friend at 2 a.m. And she was like, if you don't take an appointment with a psychi- psychologist or a psychiatrist, I'm dragging you there myself. And I ended up taking one. Uh, God, I went to one for like a month. She was very chill. I felt like my problems were kind of quickly going away and I didn't really think about them. And then she retired one month into therapy. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, after she retired, I went through a, a shittier part and I wrote my goodbye letters. I planned it. I was like really ready to do it. And then I was asking like the doctor again, and please, like, are you back? Are you doing anything? Like, can you like give me an appointment? And she's like, I'm retired, but here's the number of someone else. And that other person was like so important, honestly, because she kind of I came up to her and I told her how I was feeling, whatever. And then she's like, I'm not going to see you until you go to a medical professional, because I mentioned to her my family history. And she's like, I think this is clinical. I can't help you here. And subhanAllah, like I, I like I was in the parking lot crying because I did that a lot that back then. And I just called for an appointment. They had one like within the hour. I went to the doctor and he's like, okay, your case is not that severe. I will have to bring this doctor up again because he was really red flag behavior. Um, and I was put on medication then and there, but it took five months for my medication to kick in until I hit the right dosage. And when I hit the right dosage, it worked within a week. And within one week, it was like putting glasses on for the first time. It was incredible, but I didn't realize how effective it was until I started reflecting upon my behavior like within the year after I took medication and then my life like I was severely erratic I was god like violent at times I was really depressed like I was so depressed during school I almost failed school and I didn't really realize that it was actually part of it due to depression um I used to cry a lot at school I had really bad grades and like my behavior was always like um contrary to you it was very like no she's a kid this behavior is normal she's a kid and like my suicidal tendencies didn't really I didn't really realize that they were serious until after medication Hmm. and then I like confronted people about it and everyone was like oh no I just thought like 
by people I mean like my family and everyone was like oh, I just thought you were being a teenager and you were just going through a phase but then I realized that you know what no <laughs> it's pretty it was pretty serious mental health issues and I'm now in a place in my life where like I'm kind of like a bit choked up because like I'm having to remember all of that experiences but um I'm in a place in my life where I have a lot tools that help me deal with these situations I'm medicated so I'm very well regulated and I'm I'm even like I, I'll tell you what medication I'm on so I am on mood stabilizers I was diagnosed with um unide- like on paper it's called unidentified personality disorder where I have OCD um traits I have borderline personality traits I also have mood swings and I have poor concentration issues that they just associated but didn't call ADHD or ADD and I take mood stabilizers to help with the um, manic depressive behavior that isn't very severe but it just regulates me enough so uh, like proper therapy can work and this is exactly like where I'm at Mm. Um, and I really want to talk about it because honestly the Middle East is god such a fucked up place to deal with these situations and for very, very, very long, I would get things like, oh, you need to pray more. Oh my God. Um, so there was a lot of that. But um, I'm trying to think in um, like this environment, in, it doesn't really promote <laughs> healthy mental health discussions or behaviors. And I contacted a lot of people because I wanted to do this um, episode more with one more more than one people, and I wanted to do it with someone who spoke exclusively Arabic. And so many people refused to do it, even though these people are very open about their mental health issues. But they constantly said, "And no, no, I don't want my family to know." And I was like, "You don't have to use your name." And they're like, "No, my voice is recognizable." Someone else is like, "Oh no, I rather not." And um, I'm so glad that you wanted to do this with me. Um, I want to ask you, what was your experience like going to therapy in the Middle East versus outside? Um, that's a very complicated question, kind of loaded. So because we traveled a lot, I did get to see therapists abroad as well. Mm-hmm. But that was a very kind of scary experience because... When you're an Arab person or an Arab child going in with two Arab parents, um, mental health professionals are looking for abuse. Oh my God. Um, So I'd be upset about something, like my parents being too controlling, and obviously that would be interpreted very differently. And I was a kid, so I didn't really understand. Um, I mean, I understood to some extent, but I didn't understand why it had to come at the cost of me expressing myself Mm -hmm. so I couldn't say how I felt or else it would make my parents look really really bad Mm. um but here in Saudi it's been a whole fucking mess I don't even know if the people I went to were real therapists in the beginning what (laughs) yeah because there was like one lady who I'm just like there is no way you got through six years of medical school like no way I would pay good money 
this was a therapist who when I would talk to her about my problems of like feeling very um, smothered, trapped, sad, depressed, feeling like my accomplishments weren't going anywhere because I like stupid shit, like I wasn't allowed to study abroad, etc. She would compare me to other clients of hers who were raped by their boyfriends or went to meet a guy and like got jumped um and she would tell me these very explicit stories when I was 16 and she would be like but you're gonna be okay because you're not a little whore what the fuck um yeah and I was just like oh my god this is weird um I started to I quickly developed like a strategy to deal with them, mental health people, because I remember when I was maybe 14 and my parent, my mom took me in to see someone and he was like, whatever you tell me is just between us. Mm-hmm. Trust me, I would never betray this trust, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. And I talked to him about what it was and it was that stupid running thing, which to be honest, hasn't like completely left me, but that's because I have like I think when I have healthy like um outlets of like being active mm -hmm. doesn't really cause a problem but if my anxiety spikes and I feel trapped I will run physically which is a funny little poetic metaphor mm -hmm. but um so basically he said oh I won't tell anyone it stays between you and me and my mom walks in and then he tells her everything like right in front of me I'm so and sorry. I was just like I, I think at that point I knew it would happen, but that was like the reaffirming moment of me understanding how it worked. Mm -hmm. And it became a game of strategy for me. I had to go to these things because it appeased my mother and then, you know, whatever. I had to give the, I had to give them enough filler information as well which was so fucked up um but I would just you know make things up I I never I, I tried not to lie I would talk about my family and like whatever things I could like you know be safe about saying and just like things to help navigate like very neutral things always repeated stuff like how do I deal with it when somebody's mad how do I deal with it when somebody's like this that's that was kind of my best strategy mm. for it but um as I got older and obviously medication was a big part of it everyone wanted to medicate me and I at first kind of was like okay fine if you think this will help sure um but I quickly realized that was not for me and mm -hmm. I did not need medication it actually really hurt me so I want to tell you about my experience with the psychiatrist because here's here's one of the problems when it comes to the whole mental health like you are feeling really shit and like you want like you can you stop eating candy it's not me <laughs> our third wheel is behaving poorly like at this rate i'd kick her out of the theater oh my god okay manners i feel like this is something that needs to be addressed medically <laughs> <laughs> okay Choose if you hear any problems or noises or drinking or fizzy drinks or whatever, it is our disrespectful audience member. Um, anyways, talking about my suicides <laughs> with you, but okay, no, 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 seriously. 
So I want to talk about like going to professionals because you know what? Mental health professionals are fucking weird. Like yeah. you want help. You want to feel like something fixed because this whatever you're going through is shit. You find yourself in front of a medical professional and they're fucking weird. Like every experience you go through since the moment you step into their office is just shady. So the doctor I went to, my therapist, uh, the moment I stepped into her office, she's like, I want you to go to this uh, health professional. He's very weird, but I trust him and I think he's the best in town. I say, okay. I show up to his office. Um, First of all, the waiting room in a psych office is very uncomfortable. Anyone who's been into one knows exactly why. And the wait is usually extremely long for some weird reason. I don't understand why appointments just don't work either in the Middle East or in psych uh, um, offices. So I walk into his office and I sit down and the first thing he tells me is, oh, you need to be admitted. And I'm like, what? What? Like, you need to admit me? And he's like, oh, you don't take a joke. Ha ha ha. And this guy is like really quirky. Like he's half bald, but has a ponytail. He is like this, you know, that weird uncle. Like everyone has that weird uncle. He's a weird uncle. And you stare at his office and to my left, I see a life-size painting of himself where he's pointing at the point of view as if he's pointing at the camera. So like basically you stare at it, it makes eye contact and his finger is pointing at you. And it's an abstract oil painting. So like it's, you know, like like the blotches that are made with the paint knife. It's that. (laughs) It's too much. I have no comment. "Mm?" No comment. It is like no comment. Like the guy, he like goes between extreme weird moments but like also extreme clarity where like he explained my symptoms to me very well and he was like gave me like a very good strategy and he's like we're gonna do one two three with you and this is gonna be their medication tell me how it goes you start with this dosage whatever whatever and he was also in communication with my psychologist so it kind of felt like it's whatever I just wanted to do something about it And within five months, I had a lot of ups and downs. I was like three months into medication. I was still like really suicidal. It was really bad. And then after the fifth month, one weekend, I keep saying it, it literally felt like putting glasses on for the first time. Like there was like this weird fogginess in my brain that suddenly cleared out and I could function. I could function. I could get out of bed. I used to go through like weeks of not showering just and... Like it was messed up. And after within that year, I um, year post uh, medication where I started feeling better, I, ha- I still had to do therapy every single week. And that's when like the therapy started sticking and I would come and I would come with good news and I would have more bad days than more good days than bad days. And then I would have even more good days than bad days. And then it reaches a point where I have few bad days. And then the depression episodes they still happen, but they happen and I can deal with them after a week. They don't stick longer. And at times I think, oh my God, the medication is fake. Like this is all a placebo. It's happening in my head. Mm. And then I go on antibiotics, which wear off the effect of medication. And then I become really depressed again. And I was like, oh wow, like this, this whole medication thing is kind of real. <laughs> Weird. And I, like, for me, I think the most painful part is trying to think about all of the things that used to happen to me, like, as a teenager, 
that were a side effect of my mental health. And for me, the biggest one was my eating disorder. I had an eating disorder since I was a kid. I used to overeat. I used to binge and purge for a very long time. And my body was like a reflection of my mental health issues. But I didn't know that that was the case until like a year after. And it was kind of annoying because like shit, like I've been dealing with body weight issues since I was a kid. And only up to a year ago, I realized that, oh, this is, this is mental. This is seriously mental. Yeah. Um, and what hurts, I think, even more is seeing other people around you who are supposed to be the responsible adults not understanding what is happening to you. And you partially are relieved that, you know what, this behavior is explained. You understand that it's kind of not your fault that you behave like that, that you wanted to kill yourself, that you had really bad grades in school. But then you are hit with this notion that now it is your responsibility to deal with your shit. Yep. And that one is a slap in the face, which I hate. Like, oh my God, the point where I can't blame my air parents anymore sucks. Yeah. Like it was working for a while, but out of therapy, can't keep doing that. Um, so I like that though, because خلاص, like I just have to deal with my own shit and it's, it's weird. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Like having mental health issues, the most important thing to have, I feel like is you need friends who ex- understand this because sometimes you want to like, I have a very close cousin who ex- experiences, um, um, very similar issues. And I just sometimes go to her and we like make fun of like suicide attempts, we make fun of like how we used to hurt ourselves, like all of that. And it feels light, it feels like normal. And like, if I didn't have that friendship, I don't know how life would feel like. Um, And things as simple as like, I was that responsible adult who was allowed to get her out of her psych ward. And like having these moments together, like I say it with a smile on my face. I think (laughs) like Tala is the only person who can tell you, like I'm literally smiling thinking about these fondly because like like it's a thing that I experienced that someone else got. And there's so many funny moments. One of the things that Tala and I started, I remember one time Tala texted me and she's like, I just had a panic attack during Shavasana. And I laughed my ass off. It was like one of the funniest (laughs) things that happened that year. And Tala and I decided to start a list called weird panic attacks or weird moments that I had that we decided to like do something about. Um, Do you remember what our items on those lists? Um, no, I just remember the Shavasana one. I feel like, no, if you have them, I want to hear them. You know what? Let me get them out. I have them. Shavasana is dead man's pose for those of you who are not yoga (laughs) privy. And it's the last pose in yoga and it should be the most relaxing. (laughs) It definitely was not. My favorite one is, oh, oh, okay. Oh God. Will you kill me if I mention the Smiths? Uh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. So just to... Have 30 seconds. 30 seconds. So like not only did I realize I have mental health issues when I read The Bell Jar, I had a phase in a year where I did nothing but listen to the Smiths. By the way, or oh, sorry, I'm not going to mention your name. The third wheel had to bleep. put her... Bleep. Had to put her hand over her mouth to suppress her laughter because Tala and the other person did nothing 
but make fun of me for an entire year because of how much I listened to the Smiths. And it would reach a point where they would go on my iTunes to make sure that I'm not listening to them. <laughs> and like, no, no, it was like, I was so obsessed with Morrissey because I was depressed that I became a vegan. Like, can I get more white girl than that? Oh my God. It's embarrassing. Ya Allah. Yeah. Get off. So I found the list that we were talking about and I'm going to mention some things on it. So things to the talent list. Um, the first thing on it, panic attack in Shavasana. Smith's obsession. Quote, can you stop being white? Which is something that Tala said to me often. <laughs> And my response to that was, I'm not white, I'm edgy. <laughs> Halal haram flirting. False. Dating in Ramadan, overfed arriving from abroad, breaking veganism for Mendy, adding sprinkles on ice cream. So I did this. I wanted to cheer up. So I went to an ice cream shop and I got vanilla ice cream and I put sprinkles on top of it thinking it's going to cheer me up. And then I go to my car and I proceed to cry in my car while eating ice cream with sprinkles on top. <laughs> I mean, it's cinematic for sure. Uh, exorcism for depression. It's um... <laughs> it is very cinematic. <laughs> Third person just tucked her hair <laughs> behind her ear. Um, <laughs> Sheikh of uh, family goes to jail. So this is I don't okay. If non Arabs are listening to this, there's this weird um, thing where Arabs get a sheikh to cure all their mental health issues. <laughs> Again, third person like a priest. Mm? It's like a priest coming a priest. in to like, you know, yeah, pray the things away. <laughs> pray the things away. Again, third person had their hand on top of their mouth to stop themselves from laughing. Um, and that sheikh going to jail. This is true. We had one of those sheikhs in our family whom I thought was bullshit. He ended up getting jailed because of fraud. Um, How can you even fake being a sheikh? Um, have you met stupid people before? No, like what are the credentials? A beard. Exactly. Like, what what credentials are you faking? A beard. <laughs> okay. Just like a wig. Yeah. Uh, crying in an immigration office. That's you. Cry count. I have that now, by the way. Like, I actually have like you know those jail Roman numbers. Yeah. Um, to make sure that I don't cry enough. I did this this year because last year, God, I cried so much. Meltdown in car a lot. Cause couldn't fit in car, couldn't find car. Oh my god! Okay, one of my top ten panic attacks. I go to a supermarket. I fill up uh, my cart and everything. <laughs> I already know it. This is going. <laughs> I lost my car in the parking lot, and I was going around for twenty minutes while dragging my cart, and I find my cart. I put everything in, and then I just sit down and I proceed to have a panic attack. Because I was like, I don't have my shit together enough to find my car. And then I stopped my panic attack and I could breathe again. And then I remember that I had frozen items in the back that most probably have spoiled at this point. And then I proceed to cry more because I don't have my shit together to keep my frozen shit frozen. And then I get out of the parking lot. It's raining outside. I go to my house to try to get the bags out. I drop the bag that had the eggs in it and the eggs break. And then I have, guess what? Another panic attack. I mean, that's what we call cinema. <laughs> it is. 
is. Oh my god. Um, I. You know what? I don't think the list should be mentioned to this point. Yeah. So after some reconsideration, reconsideration, we're not gonna tell you about our list. It's just a little too spicy too for the spicy. main feed. Yeah, but uh, I'm the, like the only two that we can mention, one of them is me having a panic attack every three seconds while listening to Radiohead or The Smiths because I'm, ya Allah, I'm so white. It's sad. I'm a chicken nugget. My name she is Alia it, and I'm a chicken me. nugget. <laughs> <laughs> um... um <laughs> Every single time someone tucks their hair behind their ear, I just see it as ironically. I haven't seen it as literal yeah, anymore. It's always ironic. So, like when I think about 2018, all I think about is me crying in the car. And that like this is how I remember my year. And the thing is, I, I think I reached a point where I can't not talk about mental health without making jokes, which I don't know if it's healthy, ironic, funny, okay or not. But it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Um... And I don't know if I'm like if I'm bringing up topics that are actually helpful to society. I mean, I think it's important to just make people feel better about their own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I, I really want to talk about. So there are so many people who asked us um, online. On Oblajati, I put up questions and people wanted to talk about it. Uh, one of the things is how is mental health viewed in the Middle East? But do you want to start that one? Start I with mean, a big sigh. I feel like a big uh, sigh is healthy. Yeah. It's just, I think it goes one of two ways of, on one hand, this doesn't exist. You're making a problem out of nothing. Oh my God, you're being so dramatic. Um, and then on the other side of it is, holy shit, you are psychotic. You need medical intervention. Um, you cannot be raised in society with other people. And it's just, there's no medium ground between those two things. But... I think it's starting to change with the youth having access to stuff like TikTok, which has a lot of mental health awareness. But then we have the Tumblr problem. You know? You know what I'm talking about. I know Anyone what you're talking about. here who is listening, who is 94 and before, <laughs> 96 even, I, I could give them that. Um, but you know the Tumblr era, which just was so obsessed with depression, <laughs> the Arctic monkeys, thigh gaps, depression, <laughs> um, <laughs> self-harm. Oh my god, I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. Um, lying. I think if social media had different like mental health conditions tumblr what would tumblr be what do you think tumblr would be borderline yeah it would be bpd because <laughs> i think i think that like 
just magnified every BPD symptom you could have. <laughs> Fixation, <laughs> um, obsession, lying to like maintain your obsession and fixation, of course. Um, Actually, this brings us up to one of the questions that we were asked. Somebody wanted um, to talk about things that we don't talk about often. And I feel like one of the biggest problems so we are trying to raise awareness on mental health issues. And then on the other hand, you have people who are romanticizing them, mm. which needs to stop. Yeah, I get that people want it to be main character shit. <laughs> Take we, a shot every single time we say main character. Right. But everyone, <laughs> wants to, everyone wants to be the main character, but... It's just not fun. And once you grow up, mm. let me tell you, mental health, like your mental health issues become like a thing that are just this weird appendage that is like slowly dragging along behind you. It does not become your personhood. It does not become your personality. You get opportunities to build yourself in different ways and I think that's what's important for young people to understand that your character doesn't have to surround um, your behavior mm -hmm. or your nature or your inclinations those things are things that can be managed and you don't want to be you know depressed girl number two mm -hmm. um, which is what people are you're never the main character when you're stuck in your own head. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like putting it like out there because it's exhausting sometimes because nobody wants to deal with you when you think everything is about you. Yeah. It becomes exhausting for other people. I think I think basically we also have to consider how other people surrounding you your family your friends etc how you can give them access to you in a way that they can support you yeah if you make it like you're constantly super fatalistic nobody understands me nobody's ever gonna understand me you've already decided how the story ends i mean there's a case of uh, a boy cried wolf when it comes to mental health and i feel yeah. like um you know what? You can't keep doing it because other people, when they express like, you know, sometimes a suicidal person is lucky enough to actually once utters it and says, I need help. Mm -hmm. And other people romanticizing it makes the person who asking for help look like he's just seeking attention. Yeah. And that's really scary because that's something that we really need to make sure is paid attention to. I don't know if that sentence makes sense, but like if someone speaks up about their mental health issues, take it seriously. Take it very seriously because it's not a fucking joke. And you have like problems left, right and center because teachers don't take it seriously. Um, people in school don't take it seriously. Um, you like bad grades is one of the greatest examples that someone is going through a mental health issue. And that is not given a chance to be considered. It's always like, Inti muhmila. Shiddi haylik. Hotti aqlik fi rasik. Hotti aqlik fi rasik. Bas binafsi alwaqt, yani ma'andi ras, ma'andi aqal. Mish aarfa asan arakiz. Like, what the fuck do you want me to do? Um, 
like god like there's like so many things like i want to throw so many emotions regarding this podcast because like i can't even organize my thoughts because there's just so much that i want to talk about and for me the romanticizing one is is a problem that needs to really stop and people i really hope people need to pay attention but at the same time when you pay attention and want to help someone doing the whole broken bird syndrome is not a good idea If you don't know how to handle someone with mental health issues, try to guide them to a professional. We can talk about how difficult it is to find a professional, but you, it is not a good idea to become codependent and kind of take that person under their wing and without knowing how to properly guide them. Which leads us to another topic very prevalent here in our community, toxic codependency. (laughs) oh my god oh my god it's so real it is so real yeah looks are being exchanged in the room i think i've witnessed it a lot growing up i've always been ferociously independent in Mm -hmm. a way that um really was hard because i had to learn how to ask for help yeah But on the opposite end of that was me seeing people who were just so immersed with each other. They could never fault each other. They could never see themselves as separate. And they also had no perspective of how people viewed them. Mm. Like they live in their own like folie de, And it's like the same shit you see in high school continuing on to adulthood. People think that's how you have relationships, which is awful and scary. Um if you're struggling with mental health and you're navigating a relationship, it's very important to be able to see yourself as a separate person from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Because if you're not ready for that, you can be like so enveloped in it Mm -hmm. um, and just disappear into it. Yeah. You know what, for me, like, um, so when I was growing up, independency was like really important thing to teach in our house that, Whenever I used to ask for help, it was never taken seriously. I was raised in the house of Baladala. Mm. Like, even if I broke my arm, which has happened, mm-hmm. like, I have actually broken my wrist and got the whole Baladala that I, like, have an inj- injury that, like, I can't really deal with at the moment. That is, like, years you and years old. Put a bandage old. on it. Yeah. Drink some apple juice. <laughs> and mental health was, like, that for me, that when I asked for help it was not taken seriously. Alhamdulillah, I had friends who could like guide me through the right way. But I realized like after I was coming out of it and the third person in the room, like I was telling her about it and she was like looking at me like, I didn't fucking know. Like I had no fucking idea. And I realized like when I was going through the thick of it, nobody knew. I didn't like realize that I actually wasn't telling people about my problems, even though I actually needed people. And it was really like like hurtful for my ego to admit that I needed help. And, and like till this day, I feel so much more comfortable like putting my problems onto paid professionals than friends. Yeah. Which is, it's such a privilege to say this because not many people can actually afford to get help because yeah. help is so expensive. It's, and alhamdulillah, like in Saudi, we have uh, public health care that sometimes deals with these issues. Um, but still like there are campaigns that are starting with the government that is trying to raise awareness with mental health, but it's only happening slowly because we still have this whole, um, 
culture that religion solves everything. And there are clear studies that show that religion has a very positive outcome to mental health, but it is not the only solution. Mm. It cannot go like alone. You have It comes hand in hand with medication if needed, with therapy if needed. It is more complicated than that. But it's it's a weird balance. And the thing that I ask you to do most is wherever you are in your community, try to look up sources around you and places that can actually handle such issues. So you can push your friends or or yourself, if you're brave enough to, uh, to admit that you have a problem, to deal with it. Um, it's very difficult. Parents in the Arab world like have bigger problems. Like I hate saying this, but you know what? In the Middle East... Sometimes it feels like we have bigger problems like war, like um, political issues, financial issues. The Middle East is not an easy place to live in, but mental health is very important. And the other thing that I realized being a daughter of Arabs, generational trauma has affected me, has played a big role in my mental health. And I'm a person who's clinically Um, diagnosed. But on the other hand, I have to deal with the generational trauma that is brought upon me and I have to break the cycle. I don't have the option. I can't like live a good life if I don't choose to actively break the cycle of generational trauma. And one of those, like the first thing I can do is actually admit that I have mental health issues and say it out loud because my, the older generations did not have that privilege, even though, because People are cousins who got married in my family have passed this on to me. Yeah, that's a thing that happens in the Middle East. Um, There is, God, there's just so much to talk about. I kind of low-key want to roast professionals. One of the funny stories that I've gotten was a friend of mine was telling me, like a friend of mine had had a very traumatic past. um, And if you tell her story to Arabs, they wouldn't really flinch because we've heard that example so many times in our lives. I'm not gonna mention it in details, but she was in the UK doing her master's and she decided I'm gonna work on my mental health while I'm here. She goes to a professional in the UK and the professional was so traumatized, she started crying and the patient, my friend, started top-tubbing on her back like, it's okay, it's okay, I'm okay now, it's fine. Like, white professionals cannot handle Arab issues, honestly. And on the other hand, that same person was telling me, like, she was going to male professionals in Saudi Arabia, and some of them have assaulted her. And by some of them, two have assaulted her. Like, she has gone to several, and two of them have done that. So it's, I understand why people don't want to go to get help, the system here doesn't help. I've heard so many scary stories about professionals crossing the limit, physically, emotionally, um, breaking uh, confidence with, what's it called? Breaking... Um, client privilege. Client privilege with kids, with parents. Um, it's especially when it's things where like girls talk about assault or girls talk about their experience with being assaulted by like a family member or something like that. And the doctor or the professional takes it upon themselves to expose them or to deal with it poorly or call or slut shame them or report them. All of these things are really scary, but they have occurred. And we cannot like forget the fact that the family, the family dynamic in the Middle East is so different than the West that you cannot apply the same strategies 
when an Arab complains about their parents to a medical professional and she goes, you can just leave, you know, uh-uh, you can't just leave. Just leaving is not an option. Yeah, I think I dealt with that being in um, Paris and going to a white. Arbiactor. I dealt with that being with uh, being in Paris and having a white therapist who was assigned by the school. He was Greek. He's very nice. But to explain, you know, power structures within a certain family dynamic is very hard. And it's really important to have somebody who can understand you. And if you can't explain that to somebody, um, you will have to find somebody else. Mm -hmm. So you either find a way to communicate it with your white ass therapist um so they're not just like oh my god if your family stresses you out so much just don't talk to them like girl i wish but no that's not how it works um but it is important i think it's scary to navigate here i think it's getting better with a lot of younger people becoming um what do you call it certified yeah, a lot of younger people are becoming certified. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of new therapy centers opening up. And the conversation is a lot less... Um, Stigmatized. Mm-hmm. It's a lot less taboo. Mm-hmm. So it's good. I think in the past 20 years, kind of horrifying. Don't even ask me about beforehand because that sounds like a fucking horror movie. Like American Horror Story. Honestly, regarding American Horror Story, so my cousin, uh, again, she like had to end up like poor thing. She ended up in psych wards, different places around the world, and she would always make a joke like, you know, the thing is like, psych wards are depressing. Like you go there to deal with your depression, but they're depressing. Like, does the chair have to be broken? <laughs> does the wall painting have to be chipped? Does the puzzles need a missing piece? Like, it feels a bit like cuckoo, like uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but it's it's weird. Like, really, does it really have to be a depressing psych ward? It's, there's so much humor that you find in the middle of a situation like yeah. that, that it's kind of weird. And, oh my God, speaking of weird situations. So I am gotten really accustomed to dealing with my own mental health issues. And during the pandemic, seeing other people experience panic attacks for the first time, was, I'm so sorry to say this, gratifying. Oh my God. <laughs> it was really satisfying. People are like, depression? Oh my God, I suddenly understand. I, it was, I hate seeing this, but it was so nice to see people experiencing it. Because mm. now they have to fucking be empathetic. Like you don't have an option anymore. You can't not take anxiety seriously because guess what? You've been anxious for the past year. Mm. You have no other option for getting it. Um, It's, um, yeah, man, I'm so sorry, but like it kind of rocked my world seeing other people suffer. So um, back to one of the questions that we got, one of the things that they were mentioned and the things that you don't talk about There are weird things that come with depression that people don't realize are a fucking struggle. Like getting out of bed alone, disaster. But getting in the shower and brushing your hair. God 
Doing your curly hair routine. When you're depressed. <laughs> Insee. <laughs> Insee. Like, I would go weeks, not like not exaggerating, weeks without showering. Like, I would not leave my house. My house routine would be bed, bathroom, and I'm God, I'm not lying. Like, there's a, there's a scene, I don't know if anyone has watched Euphoria. But there's a scene where, like, she basically, like, spends 10 minutes trying to convince herself to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And, like, until it's, like, a painful infection level. I fucking identify with that. I never in my life thought that someone would put something like that on TV. And, like, you'd understand it. But I've been through that. Like, I've had fucking infections because I refused to get out of bed. And it would go through, like, phases of me not eating for a day. And then binging like 10 times the calorie intake I'm supposed to eat in one meal. And it reached a point like, like I would just order delivery food. Like I would not leave my house. And I was living alone at the time. And I was job hunting because I was graduating from university. So like there was um, no one there to like notice this behavior. Um, And I really want to talk about like how to notice if someone is going through this because we're kind of, Tala and I were talking about like mental health issues because we've, we're well-versed in them that we talk about them as if everyone else knows them. But there are clear signs to see if someone is not going through it, um, if someone's suffering from mental health. And if you go online and you look up resources about depression, there's usually like this list of 10 things that you have to cross a certain number from. And things are like you don't no longer enjoy the things that you used to enjoy. You no longer have the will to live or do anything. You either oversleep or not sleep at all. And I used to not sleep. I would stay in bed, but I would stay awake for days on end. I would sleep for like two days, uh, sorry, for two hours in like three days. And then I would sleep for 12 hours. And then... Yeah, it's like, it's weird, like, like staying in bed while you're shaking. It's one of like the most mortifying feelings in the world and either under eating or overeating. So like if someone's weight suddenly changes, um, that could be a sign that someone is going through something. And that is not when you start asking about somebody how they lost weight. This is why you don't ask people why or how they lost weight, because it's not okay. And someone might be depressed. Like, it's not okay. Um, eating disorder is associated with that behavior. Like, us applauding people for losing weight when it's eating disorder behavior. There is, oh my God, I'll never forget this. There's a person that is um, used to be with me in school. Um, God, I really hope she listens to this because I really want her to know what happened was fucked up. Um, she has signs of anorexia doesn't eat for very long periods of time. And even when she eats, she just like barely eats. Nibbles at best. And she picked up smoking to suppress her appetite. And then someone asked her, oh, bravo, how did you lose weight? The girl is severely underweight. Um, And she just said, whenever I'm hungry, I just smoke a cigarette. And the people around her were applauding her behavior. So... um, this is the kind of shit that happens in our society. We can just loop it back around to Tumblr's nothing ever tastes as good as skinny feels. Ya Allah. Ya Allah. The problem, like, wasn't that like 
put as a Karl Lagerfeld um, Kate Moss baby Kate Moss I don't know I've seen it like as a, what's it called uh, Gandhi like- once said <laughs> yeah let's glamorize hunger strikes yeah oh my god I really want to ask everyone to just stop asking about weight because you don't understand that this is like a serious could be a serious uh, um, connection to mental health issues if people like behave differently it's you know what question it take a second to understand what people are going through um borderline personality disorder has also a tendency for people to like behave extremely erratic um i used to be that i used to get triggered really easily sometimes to the point of violence and it was like um always like everyone was always like oh you're just you're just being a kid like all of this is kid behavior and you're like whenever for me it was a very specific trigger like if someone touched me and i told them to stop and like you know how arabs like will rough you up or joke around a bit too heavily and like not understand that this is not okay things like that would like really trigger me and i would snap at people and my reaction would is overblown not was over like it was extra like violently extra and that was like a a symptom of my mental health um things like um i don't like i can't think of other things Hmm. so erratic behavior um for me ocd is a big one fixation that's a really good one um so i have ocd tendencies and people don't really understand like i really need a safe space for me boundaries are so important and people like take offense to sometimes boundaries like for me especially it's been extremely exasperated with uh, um the pandemic but i'm very iffy about people like touching me if i haven't seen them wash their hands I'm very iffy about people like I can't share food with anyone. I really struggle to hug some people and I often like shut the voice in my head to be polite, but it like it crawls at my skin like it feels so uncomfortable. And I find myself having to do like I just continuously end up peeling my like nails or doing like something that's like painful in my hand so I just don't think about whatever is happening happening intrusive thoughts Mm. oh my god oh my god exhausting yeah that's what i dealt with because i think growing up a big thing for me was realizing that um the things that i was told i was experiencing when i was younger were not necessarily true i wasn't depressed Mm -hmm. um which was like a big light bulb moment um, I was just stressed out and responding accordingly. Mm-hmm. But intrusive thoughts um, are something I dealt with. And it would come at stupid shit. Like not finishing an assignment on time, which wasn't something that happened to me often, to be fair. But I guess achievement has always been very important to me yeah and the way I was raised so um any kind of shortcoming from my end and I mean by shortcoming I mean like not being the best at everything Mm. I would just have intrusive thoughts about how I was like a complete failure would never amount to anything 
would never be successful, would subsequently never find a job, would always be dependent on somebody else, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and then it could come to really stupid shit, like um, being in my apartment alone, thinking that something's gonna happen. Yeah. Because I'm stressed out, I have anxiety, and somebody will have like made a passive aggressive like i lived on the ground floor in paris and there's this one asshole who called it like it's um like it was awful he called it like the rape floor which is like a play on the french word for it but that really fucked with my head for like a good two weeks oh my god um Thank God, obviously, nothing happened, but it's still, like, small things get planted in you, mm. and fear is maximized mm. in those situations, especially if you're already under stress. Yeah. Stress so, plays a big part. Like, for me, all my symptoms, like, really go extra when I'm stressed. Like, yeah. for example, my OCD, like, I don't really think about it, and I don't find it... Um, so I'm just going to quickly explain what OCD, because a lot of people think OCD is like, oh my god, your room is so clean, it's OCD. No, no, no. Your notes are so good. <laughs> OCD. Your handwriting is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, OCD stands for obsessive-compulsive disorder, and the obsession part is usually the intrusive thoughts, where you your brain is, like, over overpowered with things that like with thoughts that are so overwhelming that you can't control a lot of the times the most prominent men ones that mention like people who for example who think that they're gonna assault their kids mm. without actually having that intention but it's that like fear of like oh my god i'm going to do that oh my god i'm gonna do that or violently attacking someone and just that thought like continuously in your brain without being able to control that like that's usually in the literature whenever you think about it whenever you read things about it and the compulsive behavior is usually whatever behavior that you do that helps you control the intrusive thoughts. Like, for example, counting how many times you turned on the lights, turned off the lights. Or for me, for example, it was like peeling my nails to like stop thinking about my intrusive thoughts. And whenever I'm stressed, like it becomes every single time I dress up, like it has to be like in a very specific order. And if I don't do it in that specific order or like I me- get mentally distracted, I get undressed and do it again. Like there, like these things only pop up when I am um, stressed. Like for example, if I'm sharing a meal with my family, if someone like taps a spoon on the big pot, like all I can think about is like the germs are mixed up right now. And like, these are the things. And the thing is like, when you're stressed, you get the OCD symp- symptoms that go up and because that's happening, you get even more stressed and it becomes the cycle. And like breaking the cycle is very difficult. Um, I still am not have not figured out fully what breaking the cycle looks like for me. But for me, there are like certain things that really comfort me. I can't believe I'm saying it, but RuPaul Drag Race, specifically Oon by Katya and Trixie, mm. are one of those things that just like spark so much joy yeah that it helps that and watching fights of jordanian parliament on youtube yeah i mean i think it's important to talk about um distractions distractions i would say comfort um media but not food please not food like people need to be wary that food is a, is a tough one yeah 
Um, I have a lot of comfort shows. Mm. Um, I know people think I am psychotic for even participating in them so much. Two years ago, it was Friends. Yeah, I don't like Friends. Um, I don't like Friends. <laughs> but it was, like, it's very... It bring, brought me back to a specific moment in my childhood, which was, like, the weekend when Friends aired. And it was such a comforting thing to just relive. Mm-hmm. I wasn't super invested in the plot. I It was light and stupid and funny. And it really just helped me um, stabilize myself when yeah. I was feeling a little bit manic. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, I ha- I've been watching um, How I Met Your Mother, which I've rewatched a few times recently. Um, and it's 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 not great content. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, but it's just so nice like I get such a relief it sparks joy and I get to I think there's something to do with like the consistency and comfort of knowing what's gonna happen but still like being interested in the small details um and if you find that kind of good coping strategy it's important to like obviously regulate yourself don't just stay at home and watch your comfort shows set a timer i find that setting a timer helps. i don't even watch them mm. i sometimes when i'm doing i'm getting ready to go to meet some friends and i'm kind of stressed about the situation i have anxiety about it i'll watch the show in the background and it'll like kind of bring me back down to earth mm. Uh, which is really comforting. So I used to get, actually, no, I never really got caught up in like the shows because they were so boring, which mm. was my strategy. It was always a boring show. <laughs> um, and I would fall asleep to it, Yeah. Um, which I grew out of. I stopped needing that. But when I was feeling very lonely, that was a big thing for me, like having that sound. Yeah. Um was good it was comforting for me so for me like comfort shows like attract um trixie and katya un i got it that show is like a hug to me it's this like this idea of something that is so ridiculous that it just kind of reminds you that like it's fine to be extra i don't know if it's like fine to be extra or it just like takes you out of whatever happening in reality yeah um gilmore girls love that show um, Parks oh, and Recreation. I did, I did Gilmore Girls for a while. Parks and Recreation. Until I memorized it. I know you like Parks and Rec. I like Parks and Rec, but it's not accessible to me. Oh, damn. I will figure that out for you. Um, so Parks and Rec, Gilmore Girls. Um, listen, certain musicians, David Bowie for me, sparks so much joy. Um, Cher, Dolly Parton. I'm a white girl. I'm so sorry. Mamma Mia, the Hi. soundtrack. Ugh. the sound like i just listen what a to traitor Abba. what a traitor <laughs> i don't like Mama musicals mia with the exception of ziad rahmani i'm not a white girl see i'm not a white girl shut the fuck up mama mia is a masterpiece and should be treated as, as such you know what i want to talk about something can i talk about the positive side of having severe mental health issues sure this might be weird and for people who haven't experienced the other side of mental health there is something we were talking about 
toxic behavior before we started the show. And we were also talking about codependency. And I realized that when you have severe mental health issues and you are forced to deal with them and you're on the other side, you cannot handle immature behavior from other people. Yeah. Because you realize that, you know what? I had to work on myself. I expect you to do that as well. And now, like you, when you have the tools to deal with your issues, when you have the tools to deal with a panic attack, when you have the confidence, when you have the confidence, these are like really important things. Like I now can offer help for other people. Like I know what to do when I have a panic attack. Like it might feel like it's the end of the world at the moment, but I learned that if I'm having a panic attack, the first thing I do is I go to my freezer and I just stare at it and I grab ice. And for some weird reason, that like that shock, that sensory shock helps. Mm. And then I look around the room and I start counting like five things with every sense. So I see one, two, three, four, five. I can smell one, two, three, four, five. I can touch one, two, three, four, five. I can hear one, two, three, four, five. And it suddenly brings you back to the room Mm -hmm. and it helps you resolve whatever is happening. Yeah. Um, These kind of things are very essential part of my life. And I wouldn't have learned all of these things if I didn't end up going to therapy. And I now seriously cannot handle immature people because I realize like you get othered when you have mental health issues. You're one of the others. And then you come back and you kind of start looking at the quote unquote normal people. And you're like, wow, normal people get away with a lot. Yeah. And like, can those normal people go to therapy? please Mm. (laughs) like these kind of things and no honestly i am so glad i am so glad that i went through all the shit that i went through because one i know when people are behaving in red flags behavior i know how to deal with my own self i know how to deal with other people because back then i used to like blow up and not deal with things well now i do and also i think i have better choices on what kind of friends to keep what kind of people to engage with. Um, all of these things were not accessible to me prior to mental health issues discovery. And also, I am allowed to say that I recovered from the Smiths, which is a privilege. <laughs> I mean, true. I I like that. I like being like a piece of shit. Like, it's good to know that I have been through something difficult And it feels good to be on the other side. Yeah. And also, you just like, you really wanted to talk about codependency. Because like for me personally, I've never, I might have been that, I can't remember. But I cannot handle other people dealing dealing with it. And also, I learned to deal with my own problems, which is something I wish other people would do. Yeah. I think the thing with codependency is the way I've had to interact with it by proxy is sometimes being um, fixated on. Mm. I've dealt with a lot of people who have BPD very close to me. BPD is personal, um, borderline personal disorder. Borderline personality disorder. Sorry. Say it with me. (laughs) Borderline personality disorder. Um, So... I have dealt with that and it was such a terrifying experience Mm -hmm. to me because I was very independent and I was taught to be independent and I 
in some ways envied codependency because it seemed like they were getting something that I would never get. Mm. But I quickly learned that that's very bad, very toxic. You compromise a lot. And there are healthier ways to go about it. But the nature of growing up here, um, we tend to find comfort that we would usually find in family, in our friends. Yeah. And then um, amplify all of those. It amplifies all those feelings of, oh, my God, finally being understood, finally being seen, finally being heard. Mm. And you start to fixate on one person and you want to take their side on everything and you want to be with them every time, every hour, every day. And it's just kind of um, bizarre to somebody looking in. And while you're in it, it can be super nice and super amazing and such a great experience. And I don't think that every two best friends are codependent. I think there's a lot of pretty um, healthy ways to go about it. Yeah, I can think of my own best friend who I'm going to see like for the first time in a year and a half in like a week. Mm -hmm. And like that friend is that like is the person who dragged me to therapy. But like we have such a healthy relationship, like where we don't have to talk to each other for like two weeks. But like we know that once I pick up the phone and I tell her I need you, she will be there. Yeah. And those are the greatest friendships. Honestly, like, don't expect everything out of a friendship and respect that whatever you get out of it is whatever you get out of it. Yeah. And for me, like, that's the healthiest way to have a friendship is to just understand what a person has to offer and to not expect anything more. Mm -hmm. And also respect what you have to offer. Yeah. And that's like, that's like, I think codependency is just this need to have someone complete everything that you think you lack yeah and it gets it gets pretty toxic and it gets exhausting because you know what these are things that you can't keep and you're not gaining much out of yeah there's no personality development there is no solution you're not getting comforted it just feels like a momentarily about like momentary band-aid yeah and i can also like emphasize that obviously we're speaking from a very gendered experience yeah um, I don't know how many male listeners you have. I don't um, think. If you're a male listener, can you like DM me after listening to this? Because mm-hmm. I'm really curious to know what you think about. Men don't have feelings and they don't matter. <laughs> Listen. I'm kidding. Listen. Oh my God. Oh my God. Men need to chill I, you know what, women getting called that yeah, they, if anything, men have more feelings. Wallah, they do. I've, like, I, oh God, I don't want to expose people who might listen to this. But men have feelings. And I wish they didn't. I wish they're, oh God, I can't, I can talk about how much I can't stand men feelings, but. We can, like, segue into saying that, um, if you have a man in your life who's dealing with something, push him to go to therapy. Yeah. Um, and don't make it so stigmatized. And, and make sure he so doesn't read the Jordan Peterson sensitive. book. Sensitive. Yes, don't let men read. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dangerous. You don't know what they'll do with that. Um, Support illiteracy for men. Yes. 
but just take them to the psych ward but no really like they should be going to therapy i think men don't learn to deal with their feelings and they think their feelings are the only feelings in the whole fucking world and it's just such i've i see it everywhere i go it's always like you know men who are so mind blown that you know they're like oh my god you know i'm sensitive it's like i didn't fucking ask like i, I don't know why we're having this conversation right now honestly the biggest like red flag in men are men who who just refuse to talk about their feelings and and like i don't know if i'm saying it correctly but it's just like people who are emotional walls but then you realize that they're actually really emotional and once they decide to like blow up you're like what the f- where did this all come from these scare me repression that scares to me to avoid making this into a men podcast <laughs> if repression. anyone listens to rogan get the fuck out of here okay i've said it yeah elon musk sucks jordan um, peterson sucks I just fucking hate these people anyways um repression like repressing your feelings girls and boys it is so bad if you have a feeling you express it and if your feeling is like a result of your own fixation or manic behavior you start to understand that pattern you start to recognize that you might be looking at situations and making something bigger out of it than it is that's how you deal with these things Mm -hmm. um if you're dealing with something that is more consistent like compulsive behavior ocd violent tendencies again there is a way to deal with it it is not the most common thing i hear is that it's just how i am yeah and i think that is just a cop-out and we need to be able to address the difference between behavior that we can't help as um if we have like diagnosis diagnoses um like tourette's or ocd etc but there is a way to manage it there is no such thing as like this is just how i am take it or leave it because you're gonna end up just perpetuating terrible behavior for yourself you're gonna hurt yourself i can't imagine that people enjoy the behavior that they're referring to when they say this is just how i am i think it comes from a place of fear we're scared of being wrong we're scared of acknowledging all the things we've done to hurt people in the past um all the things that we could have avoided if we had paid attention or listened or went to therapy earlier but that's something that you can't like you can't gain that time back regardless and it's something that we have to all of us just come to terms with and you know move on in the best way possible if you say it's today today is where it stops tomorrow i'm gonna go i'm gonna get an appointment i'm gonna talk to somebody about this i don't want to like be putting this kind of pressure on somebody i don't want to be behaving this way and you do that that's good enough like the people who don't forgive you for past behavior it they don't have to it's not their job and also it's not your job to receive that forgiveness 
you can be worthy of new different relationships where you know how to navigate it, where they might know how to navigate it better. But we get really stuck in this cycle of, uh, well, nothing has changed thus far. It's too late. Mm. I'm comfortable this way and nothing will change from now on. And I think we live in a culture where everything is kind of fixed. We, you know, we live with our parents until we don't. Like by then we're all like married or whatever. We depend on our families until we don't, until we depend on somebody new. And we stay in the same schools for decades. Um, we interact with the same people for decades and that has an effect on us. We tend to see the world as what it has been rather than what it could be. And once you start to push yourself and interact with new people, not by um, emotionally unloading, but just by being interested and interesting, just try to have a conversation with somebody new, find something in common. I think it's important to create new relationships, to experience new things, learn something new, um, change jobs. (laughs) We are talking to third person in the room. Um, But yeah, it's important because it allows you to learn more about yourself. And we have to really push ourselves in those situations because it can be so easy and that's kind of a depression thing yeah that's the only symptom i think that i truly struggled with with depression was like i felt stuck Mm. and i this was when i was in university and i wasn't really enjoying the shit i did i wasn't enjoying the schoolwork either which was very hard for me because i'm a person who really enjoys academia i enjoy going to class i enjoy doing assignments um i know boo nerd but like that is a way for me to measure my mental health where it's like i'm not enjoying this anymore why am i doing it um So it's important to have that awareness of yourself and to learn like every few weeks, um, write down a list of things you're enjoying currently, things you're grateful for. I do this at least every six months where I write down like a list of things I'm grateful for, a list of things I enjoy doing and a list of like people that I feel like I can turn to. And it's interesting to see how that list changes. I like that advice. My li- my last list had like stickers on it and like <laughs> the amount of stickers I've gotten since then brings me joy i love stickers it just makes me happy and it's a stupid stupid thing but it really does help i think once you have that like awareness of yourself and also a big thing that you read about on instagram like psychiatrist whatever whatever therapist dot whatever um is the inner child Mm. and the inner child is this whole theory of you need to give yourself what you lacked as a child what you felt was taken from you what you felt you were deprived of and it's not to say that we are all coming from abusive situations no people are, are imperfect parents are imperfect they do the best they can and then you grow up and it becomes your responsibility yeah And when you look back at your inner child 
and you see what they might have wanted, what they might have enjoyed, you can do that for yourself as an adult. It's mm-hmm. like the stupid joy of being able to have ice cream, you know, for lunch. <laughs> yeah. And you should be able to, you know, it's stupid shit like that that will make such a big difference. If it if it makes you happy and it's not a destructive habit. Yes, important. You should enjoy things and you should enjoy your life and you should enjoy, I'm just going to ignore that, and you should enjoy the things and people you do and see because it's easy to get stuck in like cycles of I just see these people because I have to, but if they don't make you happy, you can, you know, peacefully peace out. Yeah. Can I, you know what, I think that was so beautiful, honestly. Everything you said, I I will do that list thing because I really loved it. Um, I think something that I would tell myself is forgive. Forgive the person that you were. Forgive the people who were around you because parents really did the best they could at the time. They didn't have the resources. They didn't know how to raise anyone. They barely got raised themselves, especially parents like mine who grew up during the war. Um, Forgive and accept that what has happened has happened. And you have the chance to change, to break the cycle, to do what makes you feel good, to do what will make you happy. And that's what's more important. For me, when you mentioned school, for example, I've always been told that I was a smart kid, but I really struggled to focus in class, to do anything basic. Like I liked physics, but I failed physics because I I really didn't know how to study it. And it was a symptom of my mental health because I really could not sit down and study at all. And I really feel shit about it. Like part of me is like, I wish I could go back. I wish I could fix things now that my mental health is stable. I wish I could do one, two, three, and four. You can in different ways. You do not have to go back in time and fix what has happened. But that does not mean you don't get to be happy now. Mm -hmm. There's so much to do in the world. You do not have to deprive yourself of it just because you're not okay with what had happened in the past. And if people that you have hurt in the past don't allow you forgiveness, it's okay. There are so more, there are many people, there are more fish in the sea. I'm sorry to say that, but it's, it's true. Um, you know what? I kind of wanted to end it at what you said, because what you said was so beautiful, but I think forgiveness was really important to mention. I honestly, Talat, thank you so much for being here. Do you have any final remarks? Um, no, I don't think so. You said what you said was so well, <laughs> so I loved it. Um, thank you for listening. I'm going to link down resources and pieces of information that I think you should have. I'll try to link, um, um, what are they called? Jamayat, Jamayat Linglizi. Um, foundations. I will link foundations, links, people who you can go to for help. I'll try to f- my best to find resources and post them on Laura Jarti's Instagram and website. Thank you so much for listening. This was Alpha Jara. If you like this episode, please rate it five. Please give. If you like this episode, please five give it five stars, bitches. If you like this episode, give it five stars. Rate it. Share it. If you think someone needs help and could benefit from this episode, please send it forward. Thank you. Love you. Goodbye. <laughs>